Well, good morning, everyone. Can you guys see me? <laughs> nope. I had like six people last week tell me that they couldn't see me. <laughs> right when you said that, I thought, oh, that's going to work. That's a great opener. Thank you. <laughs> Andrea, thank you. <laughs> oh, it's good to see everyone here today, and I hope you guys are doing well with all that's going on. And um, I just want to reiterate what Andrea is saying. If you're new, welcome. And just like she said, if afterwards you go, I don't know if this is where God's leading us, we only want you where God wants you. And so we want to help you find a church community. We, we know churches in the air that teach truth and show love, and we want to connect you just because we believe in the, in the local church. And so um, we just want to help you out. And then I just want to give you an update. Um, Warehouse Pizza Ranch is phenomenal still, just so you know. I highly recommend it. I had it last week. I used it for communion the day after. It was fantastic. <laughs> uh, on that note, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. So have your Bibles. <laughs> You'll turn, if your Bible, your phone, your tablets, whatever you read your Bible on, we are in John chapter 8, <clears throat> looking at verse 12. That's where we'll be the majority of the morning. We're, we're looking at when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And I would imagine if, for those who've been brought up in the church, you've at least heard that statement. And then we, are, we know that we're supposed to be the light of the world, right? So Jesus is the light of the world. And then honestly, not that we become our own light, but we reflect his light. There should be this difference that people see in us. But we want to focus in on Jesus' statement when he says, I am the light of the world. What's he talking about? And maybe... If we kind of look at the context of where he said it and what was going on, it might just open it up even more. But before we get to that passage in, in, in John 8, just to go to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so often we just kind of pass by that. But to remember that there was, a, there was a moment when there was no time, matter, and space. All that there was was God. God eternal. And in one sentence, the writer of Genesis just says, I want to make sure that you get this. In the beginning, God. No one, nothing else but him. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God. God already was in the beginning. In the beginning, God created. For those of you that are creative by nature, now, I know that maybe some of you sit and go, that's not me. But many of you are. So those of you that like the arts, I want to make sure that you understand the reason you like the arts and are good at the arts is because God is creative. I mean, really, just kind of look around at creation and go, God, you made this. You just kind of spoke this into existence. This came from your imagination. In the beginning, God created the heavens. Everything that's up there and out there in this universe that's ever expanding, it's never stopping. It just keeps going. And God is bigger than all of that, for there is no limit to him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the next verse takes us to this. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And when you look up that phrase, without form, it means chaos or confusion so when god looks upon everything before it's crazy there, there's this chaos and confusion and it's void it's there's a total lack of order and then god steps in and begins to create now i want you to hold on to verses one and two as we get back to it at the end 
But as we jump into John chapter 8, 12 to 20, we got to remember where Jesus is. So Jesus is in the, he's in the temple. If you jump down to verse 20, it says, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So in the treasury, so picture there's 13, they call them trumpets, but there's 13 kind of containers. And all of those containers had specific functions. So it's, you would donate based upon what you're going to get. So you take your offering and you say you want to you offer it to this one specific thing. You put it into that one trumpet. And you go to the next one. I want to donate toward this part. I give here. If I need to give my free will offering, I give here. It's like all these trumpets, quote unquote, had something specific that people were giving to. And so people who are considered faithful are giving to their, they're, they're, they're putting their donations the way that they're supposed to be. And Jesus is there and he's speaking these words that we're going to look at. And so really there's no better place for Jesus to be speaking than right here. Because these would be known as the pious or the faithful followers of Yahweh during that time. And so while all this is going on, Jesus is teaching. And then all of a sudden he just says this. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I mean, it just seems kind of a random thing to bring up, right? It says, I'm the light of the world. Unless we remember that when he said this, it was probably around the time, if not during the time, of what's, what's called the Feast of Tabernacles. This is one of the main three feasts that God commanded was to be remembered by his people. It usually occurred in late September to mid-October. It began five days after the Day of Atonement. It was a time of joyous celebration. Like, this is a party. So this is one of those where you get all solemn and don't laugh. Like, this is a party. Guys, I'm going to be honest. There's some parts in the scriptures I love. There's some parts I don't like. Be honest. Be honest. Don't judge me. There's parts that are hard. And there's parts of the things that say, like, I don't agree with that, but God's right. He's always right. But then there's those parts where God says, I want you to come before me. And in my presence, I want you to eat the fat. And I say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I will. I will do that. And so that's what I did last Sunday. Pizza and ranch in the presence of the Lord. And God was pleased. He was pleased. I know he was pleased. Guys, you have to remember that God doesn't just call us to these solemn assemblies where we're just all serious and you don't have any fun. God's the creator of fun. But in this moment, he's like, I want you to celebrate one, I want you to celebrate my provisions of what I'm providing now. And I want you to celebrate and remember how it is that I provided for over 2 million people who wandered the desert for 40 years. I provided all of their needs the whole time. And I lived in what's called a tabernacle. And they lived in tents or quote-unquote little tabernacles. But I want you to remember these things. But it's also during the Feast of Tabernacles, they, they involved torches that lit up the city at night. It was known as the splendid light. And so here's Jesus as he's in, the, he's in the temple treasury, which was located near the court of women. And it's in the court of women where the lighting ceremony and the dancing for the Feast of Tabernacles took place. That's right, lighting and dancing. Now here's what happens. You hear the word dancing. Some of you guys are sitting there going, I know how to get my groove on. Like, I know how to do that. And then others of you sit there go, I don't even know what a groove is. Like, I don't know what that is. Who would do the dancing? I was shocked when I read this. The greatest, wisest, holiest men of Israel. It wasn't even the professionals. Guys, what happens if this guy gets up and he loves the Lord and he's so quote unquote holy and he's wise, but he is so cracker white that he can't move 
Like he has no rhythm. Does anybody, can anyone here relate? The rhythm thing has kind of escaped you a little bit. <clears throat> oh, the rest of you are all good, huh? Well, why don't we just stand up and prove it? Let's have a dance off. Tom, come up here and show us what they did. I'm just joking. <clears throat> I mean, don't get me wrong. I want to see it, but. So this dance, and it, it's not like it was just a couple dances here and there. It's not like you do the little thing we do. Slide to the right. Slide. It's not that stuff. It happened all night. Thank you very much. It's like, it's like I'm not going to go any further because I'm starting to feel like the groove. But here's the thing. Guys, it happened all night until the rooster crowed. All night. I am not a night person. I would make it to about... 9.30. And that's usually when I fall asleep in my chair. All night, a celebration before God. And while that's happening, they would then light up these four candelabras that are in the, the court of the women. And it's in remembrance of this. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in the pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Why that second verse is so important, it's this, this cloud and this fire was the representation of God. And so what God is reminding us through his word for his people, see, there's not a point where he left them. In fact, the, the fire so often would go before the people and then... He would, and then they would come from behind the people. So God's saying, I've got your front, I've got your back, I'm with you, I'm around you. And friends, I don't believe that that should be looked at any differently today. That God goes before us, and, he, and he's with us, and he hems us in. And so while those candelabras are lit, I read this, someone said this as a description. It was said that they sent such a blaze of light throughout Jerusalem that every courtyard was lit up with their brilliance. And so with this celebration going and these candelabras that are lit in the court of women, in the temple treasury, where Jesus would be speaking, and isn't it beautiful that Jesus would go into the court of women to speak? And not just where the men sat, but he goes into the court of women and everyone's dropping their offerings and these candelabras are just on fire. And then all of a sudden he goes, I'm the light of the world. Man, what a picture. And then he continues and says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the life or the light of life. Guys, that second part, we as followers of Jesus need to make sure that we're, we're, we can agree with this. You ever notice what it takes today to be a Christian? It pretty much just means this. For so many people, you believe in God. That's really what it's become. Even so many people that want to say, hey, I love Jesus, and yet I don't want to do what this Bible says, and I don't agree with it, so I'm going to change it. I'll take out major parts of it, especially there's a group of people, they actually, they made, they took little votes. It was a gem, it's called the Jesus Seminar years and years and years ago, where they took the miracles of Jesus and they pretty much took colored beads and they made a vote. They voted every time they read something of a miracle to decide whether or not they actually believe that it happened. The only base of authority was their opinion. And so they would place the color of the bead whether or not we really believe that. And I think they got rid of over 90% of the miracles. 
Here's the problem with taking away the miracles of Jesus. If you take away all the miracles of Jesus, then the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen. And if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, then we're all doomed because we can't beat death either. And we can't overcome sin either. You take away the miraculous, we're just here existing. You know, people that look at Jesus and they'll take away his divinity. And they say that he was on a journey just like we are with regards to finding truth. Guys, you realize I've actually listened to a person who calls himself a Christian. As he preached to his, quote unquote, his congregation and told them that in the garden, God is the one who lied and the serpent is the one who told the truth. And he takes the title of reference. And the reason he said it was this. Adam and Eve ate. And they did not die in that moment. Therefore, God lied to them, and, the, and Satan was telling them the truth. And then he kept going and talking about how Jesus himself was on this journey of truth, trying to discover what truth is. And yet we come back to what the Bible says when Jesus says, I am the truth. Guys, I just look and go, this is all it takes? Say, I'm a Christian. I can sing some songs, and man, we even meet on Sunday mornings, and we're friendly. And people can call themselves Christians and have donut Sunday. And maybe they got some sweet coffee. Sounds kind of like what we're doing. So what is it that takes to be a follower of Jesus? And I think it comes down to just one thing. Follow Jesus. You follow him. You do what he says. And we do the best that we can with the parts of the scriptures we don't totally get. We gotta be honest that if anyone ever says, I totally understand this book, that's because they skip the parts they don't get. I don't get this book. I don't get all of this book. I'm doing the best that I can, just like all of us. And we're in this journey together trying to figure things out. But to follow Jesus, there are some things that are in scripture that are pretty clear. And so when Jesus makes this statement, whoever follows me, not just has this belief about me, or whoever just takes the title on, but whoever follows me, that there is this action we're supposed to go after Jesus. And guys, this shouldn't be a chore. This should be a stroll with the creator that we enjoy. Like, I get to walk with God? I get to walk with Jesus. I get to have this relationship with him where he loves me and I love him and we're just walking through life together. Like this is what I get, not a duty that I'm supposed to perform. Because I don't think we need professional Christians. I think we need passionate people who follow Jesus, who love him like crazy. And love him so much that Jesus just starts to ooze out of them. And it was out of us. We're followers of Christ. Do you realize nowhere in the Bible does it say, Brian, go make converts. Disciples, go make Christians. It says, go make disciples, apprentices, followers of Jesus. So when he makes that statement, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we'll keep our fingers there. We're going to go to uh, John's first letter. So John's writing here in the book of John. We go to 1 John. Looking here in chapter 3, starting in verse 6. He says, no one who abides in him, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Gosh, what a statement. 
So here's my question. Show of hands. We're going to be honest this morning. You're going to be vulnerable. Okay, not halfway Baptist. Like You're going to put it up high in just a second. Did anyone here sin this week? Any thought, word, or deed? Put them up. Let's look around and say, thank you, Jesus. Now, here's the problem. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Next question. Anybody sin last week? We're all jacked up, friends. That's how I want to close the service, guys. Have a great week. Love you guys more than you know. Say hi to 22 people before you go. Guys, here's the difference. Watch. Because is there, is there a contradiction when you look at 1 John chapter 2? Verse 1, listen to what John says. He says, my little children, I'm writing, writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So wait a minute. So you have here in verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And then you have him, but early on in chapter 2 saying, but if you do sin, we've got an advocate. So maybe for some they go, oh, see, this proves the Bible's all jacked up. It doesn't agree. Unless we keep reading. What have I told you a few times? The best commentary for the Bible is the Bible. Keep reading the Bible and let the Bible speak. Let God speak through it. It goes on, verse 6. So it says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. As he is righteous. Now here's what can happen with that verse. If you practice righteousness, it doesn't say you become righteous. You are righteous if you've surrendered your life to Christ. Righteousness or right standing before God is imputed to you. It's given to you. That's why Paul in Ephesians, he uses the phrase in him or in Christ so often. It's like, just picture I'm in Jesus. And so when the Father sees me, he sees me as, as if I'm as righteous as Christ is. But because Jesus, because Jesus did what he did, the Holy Spirit lives in me. I will begin to live this righteous life because of his change in me. And it will take effort. But I'm not earning anything. And so I will, live, I will live righteously. If I'm righteous, I will do righteous things as Jesus is righteous. My righteousness comes from Jesus. But watch verse 8. Whoever makes it a practice, makes a practice of sinning, is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Let me read that verse again, because it's just so encouraging. Ready? Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. I remember hearing a, a, a pastor preaching this verse. He actually just read it. And he looks at the, he looks at the group that he's talking to. This is, oh, this is a few years ago. And, he's, and he said, I know some of you are sitting there going, you're, you're offended. It's like you're looking at me going, what, are you telling me that I'm of the devil? And he's like, I'm not. The Bible might be, but I'm not. And friends, if that's your first reaction to that statement, we just talked about righteousness. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. If you're offended by that, then maybe there's some other things that you need to work through and talk through and figure out. The Bible is calling us out. I've said it before Friends, if you can't remember the last time that you, were, that you were offended by the Bible or convicted by the Bible, it might be because you're only reading the parts that you like. It might be because you're only reading the parts that you agree with. 
But there should be some things that make us uncomfortable as the Holy Spirit starts to dig at the things that maybe we're neglecting in order that we're living lives that are completely set apart for Christ. And remember, I will keep saying this over and over. This is not effort. This is not earning. This is effort. You don't earn right standing before God. But this life with Jesus will take effort. And it's supposed to. So when it says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I love that. Like Jesus just came to throw down, to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Do you see the phrase that's repeated twice? It doesn't just say, if you sin, he says, makes a practice of sinning. So this, the way that it's worded, makes a practice, it's, it's, what, it's what's called the present tense, and it indicates this habitual action. So it's not like, oh man, I screwed up. I don't want to. I'm so sorry, God. It's not that. It's, I'm just going to keep doing this. Like, I can call myself a Christian, but I can live however I want. And if I want to do this, I can. And God may say, don't, but I'll do it. Guys, if that's it, if that's the habit, it's just who you are, then are you sure that it's Christ that you came to when you surrendered? Was it truly a surrendering of your life to the lordship of Jesus? Or was it just an emotional response that, that conjured up this type of prayer that you said? I cannot claim to be following Jesus if I'm not following Jesus. I cannot claim that I'm right with God if I'm living constantly in this habitual, in this habitual act or this habitual lifestyle of sin. Jesus is the one who brings this up. John is the one who's reiterating, re, reiterating it in verse 10. He says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Oh, man, why don't you put that second part in? It means we have to get along. Like we actually have to love each other. They care about each other, and we don't get to pick and choose who they are. You see that last statement? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And here's the challenge I want to make sure that we have. This should not be a ha-ha-ha, ha-ha-ha. Oh, I can't wait till God gets them. Friends, if that's your first response, like in your mind you're thinking, oh, I can't wait till God gets them. And that person's, that person's face is in your mind then you have forgotten the verse that really should be driving us as followers of Christ, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes him will not, will not perish but have eternal life. We forget that in Romans chapter 5 that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. So really what these verses should do for those of us who are following Jesus and we love Jesus, it should break our hearts for those who aren't. And it should drive us to want to make sure that they come to know Christ no matter who and no matter what. William Barclay says this about this passage. He says, John is not setting before us a terrifying perfectionism. For those of you that are kind of legalistic in your mindset or like you just have to have the list and you're going to get it all done and it all almost becomes a little bit overwhelming. 
Guys, I used to kind of live in this life of, if, if all of my boxes weren't checked by the end of the day, I was a failure. That's a hard place to live. Because most of the time, the boxes aren't all filled every day. I'm not just saying like speech. I'm just like, I got a tennis. Like, if you look at my to-do list, there's to-do things from, um, <laughs> do I confess? I promise I do work. But there's like a couple things from like last week I didn't get to. And yesterday, I didn't even look at it. And then today, I, it's like, dang, do you work? I do work, but I didn't do those things yet. And I used to think, okay, if I don't get these done, I didn't succeed. And then that would impact my person. And then we become followers of Jesus and we can kind of jump back into those lists. Every single thing, every little, every tiny little thing that we can think of. Everyone has to do this. I have to do this or else God won't what? Accept me, love me, like me. Or I'm not being the perfect Christian that everyone sees. Guys, can we all just admit that we're all just trying to figure this out as we go the best that we can trying to figure out the word? But it doesn't mean that we don't go for it, but it's not this perfectionism that should kill us in the process. He goes on to say, but he is demanding a life which is always on the watch against sin, a life in which sin is not the normal accepted way, but the abnormal moment of defeat. Like we will experience some defeats, but let's not use that as an excuse to continue to be defeated. He goes on and says this. He says, John is not saying that those who abide in God cannot sin, but he is saying that those who abide in God cannot continue to be deliberate sinners. We should be striving to be deliberate and a desire to be righteous and to, not to, to do righteous things because we are righteous before God. We should be living these lives of worship unto God because we what? We're supposed to. No. Because we love him. These won't be in your notes. It just came to my mind. The love chapter. You know the love chapter. Honestly, most weddings don't do this passage anymore. It's a bummer. But at the beginning, verse 1 of chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Guys, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels. Okay, that's crazy. I know how to speak in the tongues of people. I don't know what the tongue of angels is. You're like, oh, that's tongues. Probably. It's something different. I'm pretty sure that all the angels aren't speaking English. I'm pretty sure that all in heaven going, okay, wait, wait, what, what language do you speak? Let's get it back to English. She says, if I speak in the tongue of men or in angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Like, I can think, but if I'm speaking the tongue of angels, I'm just letting it go. But it's not out of a heart of love. It's not me loving anyone. It's just, this is, this is truth. Guys, you even notice we can speak truth. And if it's void of love, then what I sound like is I just grab some symbols and just start banging them. Nothing comes out. Why might people not be open to the gospel? Because how many people who are calling themselves followers of Jesus are going out just banging cymbals because there's no love behind it? It's not love. It's almost, remember, remember that statement, I think Mary's the one who pointed out, sent me this podcast, it said something like, we're not at war against the world, we're at war for the world. Like we really love people. Can I ask you a question? Who did you engage this week that doesn't live under your roof? In what way? Any way? 
But the way I engage them, if it's not of love, I'm a, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Guys, that's my verse. I'm just joking. That's not me at all. But he says, if you understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that's to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Guys, doesn't that seem extreme? It's like, you're not like a, okay, maybe I'm not a, a 10, but maybe I'm like a 7. Like, I know I don't have love, but I can't say I'm nothing. The Bible says, you're nothing. You can understand everything in the world, and yet if you have not love, you're nothing. What you know doesn't matter. Verse 3, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Can you imagine? You give away everything you own. You die a martyr's death. You stand before Jesus, and Jesus is like, it looked good, but it's really nothing because you didn't do it because you loved. There was no love behind that. Guys, you see how important love is? That we engage each other, we engage people with love. We do the best that we can with everything that we've got, but it's always going to be, it's supposed to be propelled by love. So Jesus, again, makes this statement. Verse 12, when he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you realize I can do things that look righteous, and if it's not driven by love, it's nothing. And what's the Pharisees' response in verse 13? The Pharisees. So the Pharisees uh, said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Guys, let's just look at that from like heaven's perspective. Did the father look, let the angels, hey guys, watch this. Watch how stupid they sound. Hold They're going to look at the creator, the son of God, and they go, your testimony is not true because you're speaking about yourself. Isn't it amazing? They thought they recognized Jesus, but they didn't. They just didn't like Jesus' opinion because they didn't know him to be God. And so they fought with him and they argued with him. And do we do that? Do we do the same thing with, when it comes to Jesus? Jesus, do we really believe he's the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, that he's the one who spoke all things into existence? He's king of kings, lord of lords, took the cross, resurrected from the dead. He deserves all glory, honor, praise. This is God in the flesh who ascended into the heavens and one day is coming back. Do we really believe all of this? And so if we do, Shouldn't it be seen? Shouldn't he see it in our obedience? Rather than hear from us why we have difference of opinion about what it is that he says. I wrote this in my notes. How we live our lives is proof of whether or not we recognize who Jesus is. How we live. So we go back to Genesis chapter 1. Starting in verse 2, the earth was without form and void, meaning it's chaotic and confusing, lack of total order, or total lack of order. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said what? Let there be light. Guys, think about it. Confusion, chaos, no order. 
And in that comes what? God, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And I've explained the definition of this word good before. Let me give it again. That word good in the Hebrew means merry, pleasant, desirable, in order, usable, efficient, friendly, kind, morally good, excellent, happy, and right. And so when God came in and sees the chaos, when God came in and sees the confusion, when God comes in and sees that there's no order, God comes in and says, let there be light. And with light, he says, and this is good. And that word good means this is excellent, morally good, this is praiseworthy, right, merry, perfect. And friends, we need the light of Jesus today. In a world that is settled for confusion and chaos, we need the light of Jesus. So to see this statement of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, followers of Christ, let's make sure that people know him. Let's make sure we point everyone back to Jesus. And what does Jesus say to do? Not, I don't know if I want to do this because I was brought up this way or I prefer this. Guys, and isn't it amazing? We want to always, we want to point people to the difference that Jesus makes. But do we look any different? Like, that's the main question. It's like, you've got to come follow Jesus. He's made such a change in my life. If I was to ask you, what is it he's done? What would you say? And of course we can always go to the cross. We always go back to what it is that he did. Look, he took the cross, he took the wrath of God, he came back from the dead, I could be made right with God. It's all by grace, through faith. I could go through that. But what about your life now? Like what is it that he's done in your life that you can sit there and go, he's made such a difference in me. To just live in this legalistically driven, gosh, it's got to be all about making sure you get all the rules and don't miss a one. And if you do, man, God is not about you. He doesn't even like you in that moment. He just wants you to do stuff and to come out of this a, kind of this weird addiction to ministry and how important I am. And I got to go preach in all these places because that's when I know I'm validated as a human. To get out of that and go. Gosh, the grace of God is unbelievable. To know that I'm loved and accepted and liked just because God likes and loves me. That it's not based on what do I achieve and what do I do in the day. It's just, I'm for you, I'm not against you. When you look in the passages of scripture, it says, you are my treasured possession. When you can actually believe that, welcome to freedom. But if all that it is, check the boxes to get it done. Do what, it, do what you're told or else there is no joy. When I had that attitude, it was easy for me to look at those that I disagreed with or who disagreed with me in judgment and not in grace. To see them as the target of God's wrath rather than the target of his grace. Let God deal with his wrath. When Jesus is the light of the world, it changes everything. But followers of Jesus, we need to become unashamed of the commandments that Jesus has set up for us to follow and to obey so that the world can see the difference that God makes in our lives.
when God created light, he pulled back and said, it's pleasant, it's desirable, it's in order. This is now usable and efficient. I've created it to be friendly and kind. This is now morally good and excellent and happy and right. Guys, the world is broken. I wrote this in my notes. I said, we must live out our faith in Jesus and show that we love him by doing what he says. We gotta take the pages of this book and go, God, show me where I'm missing the mark. Those of us who are married, friends, we need to do what the Bible says. Husbands, we should be loving our wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That I lay down my life for Kelly. It's like, oh, this is a, these are my thoughts or my desires. Or my, no, no, no. This goes to the side. It's all about her. And that she's supposed to respect me. Ephesians 5.33, it says it straight up. Earlier in the passage in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So wives, submit to your husbands as to Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let's just try that. Let's see if this works. Guys, I'll be honest. I've been doing premarital counseling like crazy. I feel like I'm doing like eight of them at the same time. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know what I'm talking about right now. Did I talk to you about this topic? Did I? No, I didn't. I don't remember. Who are you? There's one thing I always make sure that I go through. And those that I've done premarital counseling with, I'm hopefully you're remembering this. And I'm applying this because I think this is the key. That it came from Kelly's nanny. This is the best marriage advice. Marriage, and, marriage is not 50-50. If you're looking for 50-50, your marriage is going to be really rocky. And here's why. Because what if your 50 is actually their 45? And their 50 is actually 45 in your mind. And you always have this gap and you think that, well, until they come all the way over to 50, I'm not coming to 50. So they come all the way over to 42, and you're banking on 40, and all of a sudden, how'd the divide get there? She said, it's not 50 50, it's 110, 110. Is it always easy? No. Especially be married to a person who has the spiritual gift of service. try that this isn't a slam on any it's just like what if we try that parents let's stop frustrating our kids just because we can dads especially I mean, isn't it weird that he talks about parenting he's like fathers stop frustrating your kids just because you can why is it he doesn't say it to the moms sometimes dads I wonder if we can get a little too big for our bridges those of you that are employers, this is how you should be treating your employees. Employees, this is how you should be working for your employers. We look at what God says about marriage and we say, I'm not going to apologize for this. That God set it up as one man, one woman. And it's supposed to be that way. That's what he set up. And the sexual relationship happens between a man and a woman in marriage. I'm not going to go before that. I'm going to trust that God has set things up the way that he wants. I'm going to trust God when it comes to 
I want to make sure that we're people who are generous because God's generous. We're going to fight for those who are oppressed and the kids that are forgotten. We're going to pray hard against injustices. Like we're going to look at the scriptures and do our best. And then here's the thing. There's going to be times of brokenness that people just go through these hard things. And then what are we going to do? We're not going to pull back and go, well, what didn't you do? We're going to pull back and go, hey, we're with you. Come on. We're with you. Why? Because I'm supposed to bear your burden when you can't take it. And you're supposed to bear mine when I can't take it. We're going to forgive one another. We truly let things go. Gentlemen, we're going to watch the way we think about women. We're going to watch and make sure we're not looking at things on screens we shouldn't be looking at. Even if we're just trying to figure out what that person back in the day that I used to like what they look like now, ah, we're not going to do that either. Because remember when Jesus said, if anyone who looks up after a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart, we're going to go, then we're not going to be men like that. And I'm not going to make oaths and promises. I'm not going to invoke God's name into something that he's not about. I'm not going to make my relationship with Jesus a public spectacle so that people think, oh, look how, look how holy he is. I'd rather my relationship with Jesus to be private where there are more things that happen with Jesus and me just in my office hanging out than whatever happened on a Sunday morning. We're going to be compassionate. We're going to fight for the unity of the church. We're going to show the world what difference looks like that's united. We're going to, sub we're going to celebrate our differences. That's beautiful but never at the expense of the unity of the church. Because when the church is divided, all of a sudden the cause of the gospel is impacted. We're gonna look to obey Jesus. We're gonna do the best that we can. We wanna be good citizens. We wanna be great neighbors. We want our neighbors to be bummed when we move, not to celebrate because we're gone. You say, they go, you don't know my neighbor. We can all say that. Unless you found that perfect neighborhood. And if you did, how did you find it? I want my neighbors to be bummed when we leave. Even the difficult ones. I should become more loving and gracious toward those than the ones who are easy. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the world. He's the light of the world. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Guys, everything outside of Jesus, every ideology that is not connected to Christ ultimately will lead to confusion and chaos. And we have a culture that has settled for it. And what do we do? We just hope Jesus will come back one day then we don't have to deal with it. Guys, he will come back one day, but that should break our hearts for those who don't know him yet. They haven't surrendered to him yet. We are here for the mission of Jesus, because we have the message of the gospel for the same people who were the same way that we were before we surrendered to Jesus. We have, we have something to do. We need to point them to the light of the world. As the worship team comes back up, look at his final statement there in verse 12. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Followers of Jesus, we have the light of life. Like we have Jesus. And I had to ask myself this question. Can others see that Jesus in me? And again, this is not a, oh, shoot for perfection. It's not that. It's this, am I living so surrendered to Christ that I'm wanting to push aside my own preferences for the purpose of Jesus being known by people through me? We have this light of life. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness were, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Friends, we can all admit to the same thing. We were in darkness and Jesus showed up. And so what do we do from here? First John chapter 1, 5 through 9. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one, with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do we do? We just look at God and say, God, you're right. I'm so sorry. To confess means to just agree with God. You're right, God. This is sin. This is sin. And I need to, tell, I need to agree with you, God, this is sin. Maybe some of you are holding this bitterness towards someone's God. You've got to let that go. You've got to confess with God. Let it go. Confess to him you've been sinning. A lack of forgiveness is sin. And you confess and you repent. And Jesus says, welcome back to freedom. He wants us to be free. And I want this to happen as well. In John chapter 8, verse 30, it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. That's the ultimate purpose. We want people to come to believe in Jesus. Friends, I can guarantee you that you can read the news and in the first two and a half minutes be overwhelmed with the chaos that's happening and for some reason we're settling for it. Followers of Jesus, we have the light of the world. We have the light of the world. So let's go reflect Christ. You know where you start? That neighbor. That neighbor, when I just say the neighbors, that neighbor, that neighbor, those people, your community, your neighborhood, start, let's start there. This is an underground movement. It doesn't have to be always on the stage. We know the light of the world. That's what the world needs. May we not settle for confusion. May we not settle for chaos. What God has set up, we follow because we believe it leads to freedom. Ultimately, though, because we believe that Jesus is right and he deserves all honor. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the light of the world. You bring clarity. You bring order. You bring joy. 
You bring righteousness, peace. God, forgive us. How often do we take things and base it upon preferences? God, may we never do things without love for people, love for you. God, for those, we just got to confess some things, hear our hearts. And God, thank you for the promise that you tell us. You'll forgive us and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you came. We thank you for the difference that you make. May that difference be seen in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees said, amen. Love you more than you know.